You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. There's something green. I think it's garnish from Pizza Hut. Because until 2014, the largest purchaser of kale in the United States was Pizza Hut because they put it around the food on the salad bar to make the food look more fresh, which is a very good and strategic use of kale. So if you're looking for something really good that Pizza Hut has done in the world, that might be it. However, there are some people who still consume kale and they have arguments for it. And you're going to hear that because as much as I like to tease my vegan friends, you understand there's three reasons that, that people choose this lifestyle. One is they believe it's healthy, and who knows, maybe it is for you, and we're going to hear a case for that. And sometimes they believe it reduces death in animals, and I'm sure that our guests will talk about that, probably because, well, I'm moderating. And then also, <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, you believe that it's uh, reducing uh, animal suffering in the environment. So there's an environmental case, there's an animal case, and there's a human health case. Those are kind of the big three reasons. And I share all those values with all of my vegan friends. So as much as I tease them, they tease me back, right? And uh, I've even gone on a date with a vegetarian. <sighs> it, was, it was really tough, but I got her to eat two little bites of steak. So mm, fix that one. So then, with no further ado, let me bring on Max Lugavere and Dr. Amy Shaw for our protein panel. Hey, Hello. how are you? Nice to see you. Amy, how are you? Max, you're looking ripped. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. So are you. Jeez. All right. Goals. <laughs> All right. So, who's nervous? Matt. Max I, is nervous. I'm he yeah, shaking in my boots. Shaking boots. I mean, we've got a doctor here. We do, yeah, yes, we do. One who I respect very much. Thank you. All right. Let's start. Personal experience. So, Amy, meat, plants, what's worked for you? Like, what have you seen in your own life versus with patients and all? I think um, we can all agree that the data, where the data points, at least of now. But in my experience, I think a mix of plants and animal protein has been the best for me. I can't, you can't have one or just one or just the other. I think a mix is where it's worked for me. Um, but that's really personal. Mm -hmm. I, so a mix. Uh, it's almost like there's a lot of species that are omnivores on the planet and that that leads to the best survival. Right. Because then if you don't have one for a little while, you can eat the other. Exactly. Right? Okay. And, and our bodies are built. We have these microbes in our gut that actually feed on plant fibers. So, like, if you go long periods of time without any plant fibers, those bacteria that live there are starving. Um, I, I hear you on that. Um, certainly, the microbiome matters. And, yeah. Uh, Max, uh, you, you surely must agree, because you eat <laughs> kale. It's so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I, am a, I am a fan of, uh, of kale, what can I say? <laughs> and uh -huh. I never hear the end of it whenever I, I share that on social media from the one and only Dave Asprey. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I'm a fan of, I'm a huge fan of animal protein. I think it's just in terms of like a, a, a highly efficient delivery mechanism for easily digestible, highly bioavailable um, amino acids in a proportion that is, yeah. uh, you know, plug and play for the human body. Um, I think you really can't beat animal protein. And there are a number of um, ways in which we can talk about protein from the standpoint of quality. You know, there's the digestible, indispensable amino acid score. There's the protein uh, digestibility corrected amino. There's all these different like scoring methods. And by and large, you inevitably end up seeing animal protein come out on top in terms of the digestibility of protein with possibly soy being up there as well. But all the other ones tend to be, you know, all the other plant sources of protein tend to be pretty low. Now, to be fair, the, you know, if you're eating enough protein, it tends to come out in the wash. Like if you eat enough protein from plant-based sources, there seems to be no functional difference. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm agnostic in terms of where you want to get your protein from, provided the acknowledgement that it is more difficult to eat the the necessary amount of protein on a plant-based diet. So, so you're okay with like 50 grams of plant-based protein in a cookie that's 100% <laughs> gluten, right? No. Gluten's a protein. Very low, low quality, low biological value. And gluten... <laughs> it that... seems like you're counteracting what you just said, Max. I'm confused. Yeah. Well, there's different types of plant protein. I mean, <laughs> gluten is a protein which no human can properly digest. There's so, that. And that dose of gluten in some of these plant-based... like. What is the what is the plant-based protein that's like all gluten? Is it seitan or Yeah. It, it's like it says right there in the name what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so no, I'm I'm definitely not uh you know, I think I you know, I don't I don't I believe we shouldn't we should lead with our biology, not with our ideology when it comes to decisions that we make at checkout. And um by and large animal protein I think is like the the, the number one like choice for me, the number one priority. Okay. Amy, take him down. Well, I actually, <laughs> there's a brand new study that just came out like notes. today. No, I just wanted to share because it's, it just came out. And it says, total meat may be a significant risk factor for cardiovascular diseases worldwide. So what they did is they looked at 22 different countries and they looked at their meat intake and they controlled for socioeconomic obesity. They controlled for all of those. And they still found that those countries or those people in the countries that were consuming the most red and white meat had the most cardiovascular disease. Like this is 33% of the cause of death for people worldwide, right? And they looked at developing countries. So it's not just the, they're not just using processed meat, which is what we would assume a lot of yep. these studies do. They looked at farmlands, countries that were underdeveloped, and they found that no matter where you lived in the world, that the more white and red meat you consumed, the more cardiovascular disease you had. Now, there's lots of other things at play. Maybe those people were doing other things. Maybe they were also smoking, or maybe they were also, but it just, you can't ignore um, the facts of cardiovascular disease correlation with increased meat consumption. It, it's so hard on those epidemiological studies to figure out what's going on. Because yeah, there's also total calories, and one of the things in the China study that, that was yeah. pretty interesting is they didn't have refrigeration. 
Yeah. So how were they preserving the meat that they ate? And how were they cooking it under a very high temperature because they didn't have much fuel, so quick high temperature? And what were the oils used? So it, it's so complex to do this. 100%. So I, I tend to look askance at things like the blue zones and things like that because oh, do they control for the phase of the moon and whether the person who cooked your food was a man or a woman? Uh, if you're a mouse, that actually matters apparently. <laughs> uh, so... I like to look at more of the scientific kind of things. Yeah, but I think what was interesting about this study is that they looked worldwide at 22 different countries, rich, poor, rural, urban. So it just makes you think that there's something out there that we still don't know, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is the cooking methods. Maybe it's the type of there's meat. Tons. But it just puts it... It makes it clear to me that there still needs to be a mix. Like, I'm still really a big believer in that you have to choose what's right for you, but all meat diet, all meat protein diet is probably not the way to go for cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. for cancer, for inflammation, for aging, longevity, everything. Have you been a, a full carnivore? I've never done full carnivore, no. Okay. But I, I take a very meat forward approach. I mean, I like to describe myself sometimes as carnivore adjacent. Just because, like, like hashtag meat forward. You yeah, have that on shirt. yeah. Just, just, just because I think it's so important to dispel. There's so much pressure now. Yeah. From the food industry, from even our governments, right, to shift our diets more towards this sort of plant-based ideology, and um, and I think that it's this is like a hypothetical, you know, that that our that these food industry ideologues are willing to see play out on the public health stage. And by and large, I think that that's a, 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 an experiment that will yield disastrous consequences. Because, I mean, if you look at the standard American diet, it's already largely plant-based. I mean, it is already, you know, 60% of our calories come from wheat, corn, and soy, right? Yep. So, it's not, granted, these are not whole food plants. We, you know, 60% of our calories come from ultra-processed foods, but to further dilute the American diet of protein and to perpetuate the idea, you know, because if you tell somebody to go plant-based, what are they going to start reaching? Somebody who was previously an omnivore, all they're going to start doing is eating more of the fake meat products. And more starch, yum. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that we're lowering our consumption here, but uh, China owns the largest meat producing, the pork producing companies in the U.S. and is mass exporting pig meat to China and that the average height of people in China is going up right now because they've increased their protein consumption, but they're leaving the poop here, uh, which is good for the environment unless the pigs are fed a lot of antibiotics, which unfortunately they are today. Um, so in places where you get more animal protein, height goes up. And in places where you get less animal protein, it seems like health doesn't necessarily go up um, because, like you said, it, it's what else you're eating with it. Um, so have you been a vegan, Max? No, I've never been vegan. So you've never tried either end of the spectrum? No. I will, I will say, though, that I've, um, where my, my thoughts have evolved recently with regard to animal protein is that I, you know, for, for many decades, and you've, you've been an incredible advocate to help, you know, dispel a lot of the fear-mongering that has occurred with regard to fats and saturated fats more specifically. But I do think that um, in certain pockets, the pendulum has swung a bit too far to yeah. the other direction, where there is now this sentiment that you can eat essentially unlimited fatty industrial meat and that that somehow like a, mm. you know, provides a health benefit. So I actually have started to um, appreciate more the value of 
And this is like, you know, I feel like in certain pockets, uh, uh, you know, a four-letter word, which it is a four-letter <laughs> word, but lean protein and see the, the value in that. Because we live in a world where, you know, our diets are saturated not, not just in one particular nutrient, but in like all the things. Like we're, we're just, we're over-consuming pretty much everything. And, um, and yeah, and like an industrially raised piece of meat, it's going to be fattier than its, yep. than its wild game counterparts, right? It's going to have a fatty acid profile that is not necessarily the healthiest. And so I, you know, for all intents and purposes, in the context of the standard American obesogenic food environment, I do see the value in, in integrating more lean protein. If it's industrial meat, I will eat the leanest I can get. If it's grass-fed, I eat the fattiest I can get. Okay. So you've never tried it either, Edge. Have you been a carnivore, Amy? I've never been a carnivore. Come on. <laughs> but I have been a vegan. Okay. What happened? So, and I think the reason I went, and Max knows this, I've talked about it on his podcast. I started eating more dairy and eggs because mm -hmm. I found that it was a way to get more protein in a healthful way. So cottage cheese, yogurts, um, fermented dairy, and adding um, you know, eggs can be a really great way to add more animal protein without actually eating, you know, if, you, if you're a believer in, um, you know, you love animals and you don't want to eat animals, you could still kind of do dairy and eggs. So I just found that I was able to get stronger. I was able to um, get leaner, all from adding um, a little bit of animal protein. The vegan diet is really difficult. It's possible. If you have a, a unlimited time to prepare research um, or you have some great mentors, I think it's really possible to have a healthful vegan diet. I think it's very difficult to do that. It, it's hellish. Because uh, I, I have been <laughs> you did a it. vegan. I did it for about 18 months, vegan and then raw vegan. And I sprouted and I blended. I bought these salad bowls this big just to get enough calories in a salad. I choked down all the kale. I blended Oh my God, I could still make really good vegan desserts. But it, and I cracked teeth, like I, I did lose weight. It was mostly muscle mass, uh, I understand. Uh, but my minerals, it sucked minerals out of my body and I'm relatively well educated. I was getting my coconut oil, I was getting my vegan protein powders and like you, you do everything. And I found that at least for my biology, it wasn't sustainable and I find for almost everyone, I find, and the data even shows people go vegan, something like 80% of them stop when they get sick or just realize it sucks. But, but it's possible to be really healthy. Just to be clear, like, there are tons of people who are really muscular, strong, healthy. Under 30, right? Well, no, on a vegan diet. Yeah, yeah under 30 vegans. <laughs> but it's really Find hard. me a 60-year-old vegan who's done it for 30 years. If there's three of them. The like rest of Rich them are Roll. Dead. Yeah. Rich Roll. How much time does Rich Roll talk about his musculoskeletal pain? I mean, I think that they're... Oh, Garth, Garth Davis... He's another really, really that, strong that's vegan. Two. Yeah. I mean, there's many thousands, <laughs> I'm sure. There, as a percentage of people, there's, there's very, very few. Less. And, and that's because it's really difficult. Yeah. And usually there's a professional nutritionist involved. Mm -hmm. and, and it's maybe not done in the name of performance. It's done in the name of something else. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? So, like, like, look, I can do it. In fact, I advise. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. 
The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Uh, one um, kind of follower, biohacker guy, like, don't do the Ironman in a state of ketosis. It's going to be bad for you. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he did it, and it wrecked his blood work. I'm like, see, told you so. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. you, you can do sort of things like that, but you can also climb Everest in, in a shortened T-shirt to ask Wim Hof. <laughs> it doesn't mean that's how you probably want to do it. <laughs> so well, it's I, also I, like career, career vegans are, you know, they're highly incentivized. Oh, my God. You know, like somebody, no, no shade, but like somebody like Rich Roll who you know, is he, he's got this brand to uphold, right? Um, he's highly incentivized and he's obviously like, it's his full-time job to understand all of the many nuances about optimizing a, you know, quote unquote, optimizing a, a, a vegan diet. Um, but in the real world, you see that people who adhere more closely to meat avoidant diets tend to consume more ultra processed foods by about 20%. Great study out of France, you know, which uh, showed this for the first time. We see that they do tend to consume less protein. They do tend to consume, they do tend to have less muscle mass. They do tend to have worse bone health. They do tend to have higher risk of hip fractures, worse mental health and things mm -hmm. like that. So, um, you know, you have to like realize that, yeah, there are, of course there are going to be exceptions and we can all you know, there, there are always exceptions to pretty much every rule, particularly in biology. And, you know, if somebody has made it their job, um, you don't know what's going on behind the, behind the scenes. What kind of, like, pharmaceutical uh, interventions are there, you know, to, to aid them, et cetera, et cetera. Whoever came, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> 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 guys, if, only a few of you laughed. Uh, Liver King is one of the, you know, eat meat or you'll die kind of guys. Um, who uh, was outed as taking $10,000 a month worth of testosterone and performance enhancers, which I have no issue with him doing. He just should have told us he was doing that. It doesn't come from just eating balls. <laughs> Max, have you ever eaten a ball? No, no, no. <laughs> Amy? Never. Yeah, me either. So, sorry, sorry, guys. Uh, it's just, just maybe not the biohacking way. Um, and you talked about ritual. And just full respect to, to Rich... He talked about how being an avocado farmer, he's killing 10 to 25,000 ground squirrels a year so they don't eat his avocados. And he's like, there is no way to raise food without stopping animals from eating the food, and I don't like it, but that's how it works. Uh, which leads us to the next question. So, Max, is it even ethical to eat animals given that they die? 
I think it's ethical, um, pr provided you understand and are uh, conscious of the full, you know, breadth of what it takes, you know, and where your uh, for your food to be sitting there on your plate and where the food has come from. I think it's important to be mindful of that. Um, to just eat mindlessly, I don't think is uh, is ethical, and I think um, I think to to take the most humane approach to ethical omnivory you should do your best to vote with your dollars for um, a system that does honor what animals have to go through in order for them to be converted to food. Okay. Amy. Yeah, I think, I think we do have a problem. I mean, you see how these animals are treated at most. There's so much processed meat that's consumed in this, yeah. in this country, right? I, when I was in med school, there was a McDonald's inside the hospital. It's crazy, right? Like, it was where you saw the patients and the doctors. Everybody was there. It was a hot spot. And so we're consuming insane amounts of processed meat that is coming from places that are not treating their animals ethically. And so I think we definitely have a problem with that. But I think there's, it's very difficult to really get rid of every single harm to animals. Um, I it, think we do the best difficult. we can. Okay. Yeah, we have, to be, we have to be cognizant. We have to buy food from places that we know that are treating animals better. We have to be, uh, we have to be very... Um, we have to tell these people who are treating, having industrial farms and killing all these animals that they need to do better. Love, love that. Um, do you like almond milk? I drink... I've drank almond milk. <laughs> do you hate bees? No, I love bees. Billions of bees are enslaved to fertilize the almond milk, and many of them die, like a third of the beehives, right? Yeah, you can't, you can't not kill any animals. When, yeah. Although, you know, there's many, many beliefs in the world, like Jainism, you know, where we're like, do not harm any animal or plant if you can. If they're yeah. already dead or if they've fallen on, if it's a fruit and the tree can still live, you can eat it. I, I actually find great knowledge in, in Jainism. Yeah, I love it. So one, one of the things that they talk about is that garlic and allium family lowers consciousness. And I feel it. I'll use garlic medically, but if I eat garlic every day, mm -hmm. and people really hate that that's part of the bulletproof diet. I'm like, well, you know, that's a Jain thing. The other thing that, that's a part of, of Jainism a lot of people don't know about is uh, don't they carry knives a lot of the time? They do, yeah. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> So if you're not carrying a pocket knife, you're probably not dangerous because your caveman ancestors carried a piece of string and a piece of sharp flint because that's all they needed to survive and your body <laughs> still knows that. So you should have a knife in case you need to kill an animal and eat it. Wait, that's not Jane. I get so confused. All right. To cut off a piece of fruit. There, cut, cut your fruit. Okay, yeah. I, I like this better. Now, Max. Is it hard to get dates, given that you kill animals and eat them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, I would not... I've said this before. I wouldn't... Uh, it would be very hard to date a vegan. Um, and I wouldn't... Uh, I would not knowingly procreate with a vegan. Knowingly? I, wow. I love it that you said knowingly. Thanks for your honesty there. Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah. Strong words. Yeah. All right. Um, Amy, you, you see a lot of patients. And is it true that healthy men don't want to date vegan women because they're less fertile? 
I mean, I haven't heard that before. But that vegan women are less fertile? Really? I didn't you know that. You haven't seen this in any of the literature or anything? I mean, no, I mean, I didn't know that it was a thing that healthy men don't want to date um, based on dietary preferences. Oh, it's totally a thing. I, mean, I can share my, my rationale if anybody wants to. <laughs> I mean, sure. Go for it, Max. <laughs> well, I just, I love food too much. I love cooking. I love cooking. There's something very ancient about cooking meat over fire, in my view. Like, I, I love doing it. I love sharing. I love, you know, the whole process of, like, taking said cooked meat, putting it on a block of wood, sprinkling some Maldon salt on it, cutting it up, and sharing. You know, and, the, and, and also, like, Dating somebody who, like, who, who has a dietary ideology, it just doesn't, it doesn't sound fun. Like going to restaurants, not being able to share plates. And then from a like, procreation standpoint, we're co-creating this. I mean, obviously, I'm not the one getting pregnant, but like, we're still co-creating a human. And I think that you know, with at least fish, you know, like the, the evidence is... Yeah, it's, it's pretty strong. Yeah, it's unequivocal that, um, that like w pregnant women who consume fish, nutrients like choline, they have brighter children, right? Like, and so for me... Did you say vegan babies are dumb? I think I heard you say that, Max. Shame, shame. Yeah, I just don't think it's a biologically appropriate diet. I mean, I think... I'm feeling triggered. You need to let me impose <laughs> my thoughts onto you. You know, I... <laughs> They could avoid avoid kale. They could be on the on the bulletproof diet. But as long as it's as long as it's like you know a diet that is like I think biologically appropriate and integrates plug and play, um, you know, animal source nutrients. I think uh, you know. I feel like okay. we could at least have a conversation. Go, you know, at least go on <laughs> You'll first date. You'll have a date. conversation. Yeah, a conversation. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, and and to your point though, if, if you're vegetarian. Yeah. You probably get enough protein, you get some saturated fat that way. And, and I've seen vegetarians thrive if they're not allergic to cow dairy and eggs. Yeah. And my carnivore experience where uh, for three months as I was stress testing the edges of the Bulletproof Diet before I wrote the book, I did, I was all right, well, apparently maybe carbs aren't necessary. So I started, I felt great, lost weight, eating 4,500 calories a day. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm taking lipase and digestive enzymes to make sure I absorb it all. And I actually lost weight and my body thrived for a little while. And then I started noticing on, back then I didn't have an aura ring, but so I slept with this headband that would measure my sleep uh, called a Zio, I think. And, or a Mio, I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> so what ended up happening uh, was I started waking up just feeling like I hadn't slept. And I could sleep like 10 hours even, and I would wake up 30 times because my cortisol levels had gone up. And the lining of my gut wasn't really working very well because I had no carbs. So you give me a little bit of cooked skim milk, even if you sneak it into something, I can literally take modafinil, caffeine, nicotine, and cortisol, which is a really strong stimulant, a pill of cortisol. I could take all of those things and still have no ability to focus and barely even stay awake. So I'm like, that stuff is Valium to me, mm -hmm. uh, which sorry, Max, we're not gonna share that piece of pizza. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to, it's just not gonna happen. And, and so there's individual variations, but I think my milk thing got worse on the carnivore. Well, actually, I didn't do milk during that time because that wasn't part of it. But after, as soon as I had a leaky gut, then I added it back in, it was like much, much worse. So I, I'm not a fan of unending carnivore, but I'm fine with doing it as a cleanse for a month or something. 
yeah. right? Uh, James Clements was on the show a while back saying, we'll do a month of uh, vegan to lower mTOR and then a month of, of carnivore to raise muscle and kind of cycle in and out. Amy, would you, if you had a patient doing that, would you make fun of them or what would you do? No, I think, um, I, I think, you know, especially, I was thinking about it from the lens of being a woman and especially as you yeah. start aging, you're going over 35, you really need to get that high quality protein. And so whether you get it through a meat source, a dairy source or egg source or a plant-based source, you need to get up there like w much higher. Yeah. Um, Try different diets and see which one gets you there. Trying every single diet because it's the new trend. Like, don't right. do carnivore just because it's cool on Instagram. Do what makes you feel good, makes you, helps you get the high-quality protein you need to be mm. strong. In the Bulletproof diet, I talked about 0 0.8 to 1 gram of protein per pound of body weight. For me, that's around 200 grams of protein. Uh, and in... Superhuman, my anti-aging book, I talked about some research that shows 0.6 on average grams could work, but you have to bump it up a little bit as you age or if you're a weightlifter. Yeah. Um, what's your ideal number you see in clinical practice? So if you're someone who wants to build muscle um, and you are someone who also wants to lower um, certain times when you're fasting, when you're sleeping, whatever, so either early dinner, fast overnight, and then you have your big protein source in the morning, you want to stay around the one, the 0.8 to 1 gram. 0.8 is, to 1 yeah. for muscle. You can go a little bit higher, but then you're, you're, when you get to the 2, the 2, you're really... You're, you're going to really, be farting ammonia, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're really, if you're talking about longevity, you don't want to go that high. If you're talking about muscle bodybuilding, maybe you want to go that high for a short period of time, but you want to come back. If, you, if longevity is your focus, the mTOR pathway, um, that's where you want to be. Is that Max, where, what do you where think? Are you at? Yeah, I'm, I strive to get point, point 0.8 um, grams per pound of body weight. Um, if you're, you're carrying a lot of, or is that why you strive to do it? Instead of just getting it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, like I striving get a thing. I, I typically probably get higher than that. I probably get okay. Yeah, on a daily basis, one gram per pound of body weight. Okay. If not even, if not even higher. And part of the part of the reason for that for me lately is I've been on a bit of a like a cut. You know, I've, I lost about like 15 pounds of fat over the past like four months. And um, when you're in a, I know you hate the term, but calorie deficit, you know, um, you want to make sure that you're keeping your protein high so as to preserve your, your muscle. And the higher you keep your protein, I mean, the more, the, the higher the odds are going to be that you won't suffer any undue muscle loss or strength loss. Um, that seems to be what the bodybuilders have done for like 40 years. Yeah. So I think there's some, some good science yeah. there. It, it's funny, in the history of biohacking, I'm like, how do I get bodybuilders and longevity people yeah. and neuroscientists and like Navy SEALs in a room together to like talk about what works? And yeah. yeah, I mean, like you want to be... You want to be muscular and jacked, but then you want to live a long life yeah. too, right? So it's not like one or the other. Well, let's talk about mTOR. And guys, mTOR is a, a growth stimulating factor in the body. And when you have mTOR, you can put on muscles. Kids have more mTOR. And when you have less mTOR, your body goes into a regeneration mode and autophagy and things happen. So that's what mTOR is. So you mentioned not having mTOR too high. What's your, your thoughts? Like walk me through what you would eat or not eat if you I, wanted to control mTOR. I think we have to be in the fastest state at some point. You know, we live in a very fed state, all of us. Um, most standard American diet uh, 
clients, they're not even ever getting into a fasted state. Uh, there's not even an eight-hour break from the time you have your last wine and cheese and snacks to when you're having breakfast. So fasting, definitely, I like to do it circadian style, as you know, like sundown, start to wind down your food, uh, stop eating two to three hours before bed. And then in the morning, after you work out, you have your big protein stimulus. So that mTOR goes really high, goes to where it needs to go, and then you can start that process again the next night. I, I thought you were going to Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Tell me that carbs raised mTOR more than protein. They do. <laughs> Did you guys know that? We're talking about controlling protein for mTOR, but the orange juice raises mTOR more than the steak that you might have with your eggs in the morning. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I feel like we're talking about either fasting or only having fat in the morning. You guys ever heard of just having fat like in coffee in the morning? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, fasted or yeah. fat um, in the morning and then have your big protein source. And carbs even. And carbs. Yeah. Okay. After your workout. After if, you're trying the workout. To, if you're really trying to build right. muscle, you probably want to have. Usually, you know, when you're having your protein, it comes with some carbs, anyways, um, unless you're eating like a pure like a ribeye for breakfast. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ribeye for breakfast, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> ribeye breakfast makes me happy. <laughs> now, there's something that I do on my ribeye, and I want to get the opinion from both of you. Is I look at when I look at plants, I don't worry about plant-based protein. I consider it to be mostly not in my interest because the plants are making the protein to try and kill me, uh, and certainly not as an ideal food source compared to the other ones we talked about. But so I just I don't count that in my protein number because it's unlikely to be very useful protein. So it's like oh I got you know 200 grams of protein, but if half of it wasn't useful protein, you know that's like saying I ate a pound of heroin, but it was tied up in condoms, so I didn't absorb it. Thank goodness. <laughs> Right, so I just don't worry about that plant-based nonsense. Sorry, Amy, I'm just teasing you. Uh, but what I do look at is polyphenol content, and I choose the plants highest in polyphenols, and none of those are actually plant-based foods. They're all herbs. So my ribeye is crusted like a tablespoon of rosemary, a tablespoon of oregano, and thyme, because those have hundreds, if not thousands of times more than brightly colored salad whatevers. So what's the role of herbs in your recommendations? I love herbs and spices are the highest source of antioxidants and polyphenols that you can have in the diet. So you should have tons of herbs and spices, but should also have brightly colored vegetables, Why? dark leafy greens. These are things that have effects on the microbiome that we're just learning now. As opposed to um, fermentable fibers. Yeah. Oh, so you're looking for fermentable fibers. So you could have a scoop of acacia gum and just have 10 times more than all those dark. Well, I mean, any sort of fermentable fiber. Yeah. Inulin, okay. acacia fiber, but it comes naturally in dark leafy greens, in, in um, small amounts, sprouts. Right. Sprouts. Cool. Yeah. I'm totally teasing. So, <laughs> all right, Max, just, what do you think about herbs? I, I, I have another thought herbs. about that, but herbs. Yeah, no herbs and spices are amazing for, I mean, obviously from a culinary standpoint, they, they're a zero to low calorie way of adding flavor to your food, but also 
the the they are some of the more concentrated sources of polyphenols in the in the diet, and that's what we attribute their bitter, you know, strong flavors to. If you actually look at other produce in the supermarket, they're slowly being those flavor those bitter flavors are actually di you know becoming diluted of the polyphenol content. I mean, we see that with fruits. Like if you look at if you were to find a somehow a wild banana, they'd be a fraction as sweet. They'd have more bitter undertones. They're gross. Yeah. Well, with the you know, food manufacturers realize that humans want sugar, right? They want they you know, bitter is not a flavor that we genu genuinely enjoy. I mean, if you think about the first time, maybe not you, Dave, but the first time many of us tasted coffee, which is a, actually a quite bitter beverage, right. we probably didn't like it very much as children, right? The first time anyone had you know, wine, those tannins, those are not you know, on the surface delicious, palatable flavors. And so they're being bred out of our food. And yet, those compounds are responsible for many of the health benefits that we see from plant diverse, you know, diverse diets that are, that are diverse in, in uh, plants. Max, it, it may be genetic. Uh, when my daughter was one and was starting to have non-breast milk stuff, I had a cup of kind of lukewarm black, at the time, uh, bulletproof coffee. Uh, and so she reached for it, and I said, oh, well, she's not going to want coffee until she's 18. I'll let her try it. So she, little hands, they can barely hold them. She <laughs> takes the cup, she goes, and she goes, and she just pours the thing on her face, and she fought me for it. And since then, she's had you know one ounce of coffee with tons of good fats in it as a kid, or more, whenever she wanted it, because I did the research about kids metabolizing caffeine twice as fast as adults, and if they're getting one or two ounces as a carrier for fats I want in their little developing brains, uh, it was good, but it's, it's been a, a thing. Tell me what, what a bad father I am, Amy. You're a bad, you're a bad father. <laughs> what, what's your take on these small amounts of caffeinated, high polyphenol beverages, even if I, kids have them? I'm a huge fan of coffee, tea, spices, yeah. herbs. Like, I don't think we eat enough of those things. We should be having them everywhere, all the time. Okay. Um, I think we tend to not think of those things as food or things to add in a healthy diet, but it's essential. Okay. I actually do this weird math. I, I do like dollars per calorie math on foods, right? And let's be clear, I can eat whatever I want to eat. I'm very fortunate that way. And I also look at, at followers who are, are economizing the way I have for much of my life in college and things. And you look at cabbage, let's say. And like, well, that's a lot of food, but when you look at the amount of calories in cabbage versus the dollars, you're like, wow, that's actually relatively expensive per calorie. And then if you look at lettuce, it's terribly expensive per calorie because there's no calories in there. There's a little bit of fiber and some colored, you know, some com colored compounds, polyphenols and, and whatnot. Um, so you start going, well, where's the, the dollars, where do they go the longest? And it's probably rice and beans, right? Um, but then, of course, you're eating tons of starch, and then there's no protein. So then you start looking at dollars per calorie, you'll get dollars per protein. And from that perspective, max your lean protein thing probably maximizes out, because the amount of dollars you spend there versus getting even an industrial plant-based protein mm -hmm. thing. And if you're eating beans, it might be cheap, but you'd have 400 grams of carbs, so you, couldn't, you just couldn't get Two enough bucks, protein, yeah. right? Um, so then you look at that and you're saying, oh, wow, so maybe it's more economical to eat even a smaller amount of, and I'd say it, industrial meat, because it is cheaper right now because we're doing it wrong and we'll fix that. But right now, some amount uh, of meat on a, to get your, your protein in is cheap compared to the eggs, which is the, the most affordable, probably followed maybe by cottage cheese, depending mm -hmm. on what quality is and whatnot. Um, but then dollars per polyphenol is, is another way I think about food. Mm. Yeah. So... What would your 
best guess? I don't know for, for sure because spices are different prices, but what would your best guess be on like the best spice per dollar to make you healthy? God, that's a hard one. Turmeric or um, ginger, maybe uh, cinnamon or pepper. Like all of those things are pretty inexpensive for all of us, mm-hmm. um, attainable and really, really high in polyphenol content. Um, but I think that also you have to think about when you were saying calorie per dollar, if you are someone like who's on a cut or someone like who's trying to eat healthful and grow your microbes in your gut, you really do want those um, low calorie uh, lettuces and um, plants to sure. kind of fertilize that it, ground. They're just expensive. Yeah, they like, are. The, just, but yeah, those spices are, are probably the best bet. I would probably, I mean, honestly, I think, and you're going to love this answer. I think the, the most polyphenols per, you know, per dollar you're going to get in coffee. And that's, that's a good point. And that is the reason why coffee is the number one source of polyphenols in the American diet. There's that. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you there. (laughs) Uh, My answer would have probably been rosemary because there's so many cognitive and other cellular benefits. It's relatively affordable. And uh, the trick with rosemary is you want to get either cracked rosemary, which is tiny little pieces of it versus the whole little leaves, or just cook it in the leaves or even blend it into stuff. I blend it into sauces a lot. And then the most expensive spice, saffron, is also really good for your brain and cognition and depression and ADHD. is amazing. Saffron is like the real deal. Mm. If you guys remember Zen Mode that I formulated for Bulletproof, it was the first first mass market supplement to use a saffron extract to help fight anxiety and depression. I don't know if they still make it. I kind of doubt it. It's expensive. It's an expensive, really expensive supplement, but it works. And there are people who go off SSRIs, right? Yeah. Because they have access to saffron. It's that powerful. Yeah. Okay. Food, food in general can get you off of SSRIs. I mean, it's food and exercise is more powerful yeah. than antidepressants. And, and this weird thing called sunshine. Yeah. Sunshine. Who would have thought? But, you know, ultra processed food, if you switch from ultra processed food to vegan whole plant diet or uh, a meat-based whole food diet, either one is going to get you better mood, cognition, and exactly. like, health. So stop eating crap. Yeah. It's like our meditation this morning. Like stop doing the things that make you weak and you remove those. Yeah. And whether you replace them with plants or meat, you're going to be better off. But if you wait three months later and you replace it with only plants or only meat, yeah. you're probably doing it wrong because you've become an extremist and you want to at least move back and forth between them. Max, your lowest cost favorite source of prebiotic or soluble fiber that's fermentable. Oh man, lowest cost. Well, I mean, I, I am a fan of dark leafy greens. So. But they're not low cost. They're terribly expensive to get enough of those. I mean, you're going to spend four bucks for a bunch of kale that has six calories and not that much soluble fiber. They can be, but you know, even like romaine lettuce is still like a decent. I mean, iceberg is pretty terrible, but like romaine lettuce is 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 decent. Uh, you can get mixed greens, arugula, um, and I'm a huge fan of whole fruit. And you know, with whole fruit, where you eat the skin or the peel, plants tend to concentrate these polyphenols in the outer surface mm-hmm. of whatever it is that we're talking about. So, for example, apples. You know, the, the skin of an apple is a rich source of tannins, of prebiotic fiber, flavin- uh, flavanols, which have recently been, been shown yep. in a crossover clinical trial to boost BDNF in the brain, flavanol-rich foods. So, yeah, I mean, whole fruit. And I try not to let 
perfect be the enemy of the good? When I'm traveling and I can't buy, you know, the pristine, you know, we'll say like organic produce that I that I can buy and that I have access to in Los Angeles, thankfully. I mean, I eat conventional just because I know that, you know, if you, if you rinse it well and whatever, the dose makes the poison and a little, you know, it's, it's, you're, the, the benefits probably outweigh the risks. You mean you built such a resilient system that you don't have to live in a cave worried about everything? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've interviewed on my podcast, The Genius Life, uh, a number of like really um, well-respected cancer experts lately. And it became very clear to me that, you know, we live in a world where we're exposed at any turn to innumerable potential carcinogens. You just can't avoid them, right? But you can build, you can bolster your body's own resilience to, you know, these exposures. And so... Yeah, I think that's part of what it means to be a resilient organism today is to like is to make sure that your body is replete with antioxidants, with protein, with all the things that you need to make yourself strong and healthy. Um, because, you know, exposure today is inevitable. You've got to just make sure that you are strong enough to come out on the other side, you know, healthy, you know, in, 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 a, in, health, in fighting form. Amy, we're coming to the end. I don't want to give you the, the final word on this. You want to build the most resilient human being yourself or a patient ever. Three pieces of advice, most important ones. Okay. Um, number one is think about your gut every single time. Your gut microbiome, every single time you eat, it's like if you go to the Amazon rainforest or rainforest in general, you see these trees and they have plants and fungus and little other organisms growing on their roots, right? That's exactly how our body is. Um, those microorganisms, they make us healthy. And if you don't feed them, the roots will corrode and your whole tree will fall, right? So think about how it's going to affect your microbiome when you're putting a piece of food in your mouth or doing an activity, if you're doing exercise or getting sunlight. Um, that I think is something that we don't do enough of, which is why I think it's something that I want to tell people. Your immune system, your mental health, your uh, physical health is going to get better if you think of it through this lens every time you eat. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And, and what I think we came to, and it, it kind of makes me angry when panelists agree with each other. So <laughs> I want some drama for you guys. Like I was hoping that there would be like, you know, like hair pulling yeah. and slapping and hair pulling. Yeah, none fight. of that. So I'm, I'm kidding. This is a kind place, but, but we actually did find points of agreement and disagreement. But what I think is coming out here is being vegan is probably not going to work long-term for you. And being carnivore probably won't work long-term for you. So you got to find where you fit in the middle. And you, know, you may need three times more of a specific soluble fiber than me. I don't know. Like maybe let's measure our microbiome and see what's going on in there and then make some adjustments. Yeah. Right? And Max, same thing. I mean, you may need more ribeye than I do, but let's race. <laughs> <laughs> guys. Challenge accepted. <laughs> will you give it up for Max and Amy? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. That was fun. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.